Hello and welcome to the podcast, The Other Woman and the Wife, where we discuss why infidelity exists and what we can learn from it. Today, I'm joined by Marty. Marty and I go back probably about eight months, would you say? About that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marty, do you have any experience with infidelity? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Not physical, but emotional, which is a weird thing for a guy. So I'll just jump right into it. I've been married 20 years during that time. We've basically grown up together, my wife and I. We, we still love each other. We've just grown apart, right? It's kind of like that roommate thing, right? Where you're, you, you know, you're kind of like, like we can hang, but yeah, it's not much more than that, right? We're great parents, but I don't know that we're great partners anymore. So during the last couple of years, I'd gone through a big change in my life. I'd lost 250 pounds and that's about the time when also the nature of my marriage was changing, the nature of my relationship was changing. And we had always been like sports parents and really involved and involved in the community and all that stuff. And, you know, we're at one point known as a power couple in the community, I guess you could say, like we were just involved with everything. Right. And, you know, you meet other parents, you become friends. And over the course of eight years ago, we befriended a couple and they're little younger, the husband and wife are about eight years younger than I am. And I'm in my mid forties and, you know, we became friends. We hung out once in a while and everything. And then it took a turn this summer. It's when things started to get really bad in my marriage where we weren't sleeping together anymore. We weren't really talking anymore. She would sit on her phone all the time and I would just go and putter in the garage or whatever. It wasn't, it was kind of like you work and you come home and you ignore the other person till you can go to bed. So during that time, I was feeling very lonely and my affair partner, she had decided to separate from her husband at the time. Her husband is, how do I say it? It's not even a millennial generation thing. There's this group of men between the ages of 31 and 37 right now that just absolutely don't know how to do the things. And I don't know what happened in society that made that happen. But you know what I'm talking about? It's like they don't provide. They don't check their wives' emotional boxes. They don't clean up after themselves. They're just like children, right? They come home and they like play video games all day. And she had decided she had had enough of it. He was a little bit of a drinker too. And so she left him. And she had reached out to me with her new house. She needed some help with something. Long-term friends. Of course, I'm going to help. I'm just that kind of guy. I helped her out with a few things and watched her kids once in a while. I'd bring them up because I've known her kids. I've watched them grow up. I've known them. They're teenagers now. I have known them since they were littles. We started texting and that increased. And then it became like a daily thing. Good morning. Good night. Blah, blah, blah. Just talking about life kind of thing. And it was nice to have somebody to talk to. And it grew and you know we went out to lunch a few times we did that before we went out to a movie and we'd always talk about doing that and we did that and then there was this odd moment she just kind of looks at me and she's like i love you and i'm like yeah i do too at the time she had been separated for about three four months and she was seeing this guy and i was like you're seeing somebody i'm married this is great that we have this emotional bond but it's not, the timing just sucks. And so 
we kind of put it on hold. We said, we're going to step back. We're just friends, blah, blah, blah. It's good that we got that out. And then it just, we couldn't stay apart. We just kept coming back together. It was magnetic. And we talked more and things got more and more serious. So right around Labor Day, there was this complete moment and where it was like, you know, that scene in the notebook where she's like, I want a big white house with black shutters. And he's yeah. And she's like, and a wraparound porch. She's like done. And that was the conversation. It was like, we're going to do this. And I decided to leave my marriage. I had an apartment lined up. I was ready to go because I didn't want to lie to my wife. I didn't want to have a physical, and I always, I already felt guilty enough about an emotional affair. And that's exactly what was happening. As a matter of fact, that is about the time when I saw one of your TikToks where you talked about an emotional affair and it's still an affair. And it's very interesting because I actually showed her that TikTok and she's like, no, we're not having an affair. We've never had sex. And I was like, yeah, but, and then she like thought about it and she goes, yeah, okay, I get it now. So long story short, we made the plans to, I made the plans to leave. We made the plans to finally be together, not just physically, but like together, right? Openly. And she suddenly decided to go back to her husband. He, he made, he made his, his case and said he was going to do all the things, made all these promises and of course stuck to it for about two weeks, long enough for everything that she was working for to go away. She had moved back into her house, let go of the house she was renting, et cetera, et cetera. We went no contact for about two weeks after that because I was devastated when she told me. I mean, I was inconsolable. And I cannot, Chelsea, I cannot tell you how hard it is to be heartbroken and not be able to tell anybody why. Everyone just thinks you're sad or angry and... I was so much more than that, right? I hadn't felt that way in 20 plus years. Seriously, it opened up a whole new side of me. After about two weeks, we were like, we're just going to be friends. We can be openly friends now. Yahoo, blah, blah, blah. We're besties. It's okay that this got out in the open. We had a good talk about it. We said, hey, just because we have feelings doesn't mean we need to act on it. We're just going to draw that line. We called it the friendship wall and we just built the wall up. Like I said, it took her husband about two weeks to drop the ball again. And about two weeks after that, we started talking and we talked regularly and she told me about her frustrations and everything. And I kind of did the, I'm going to be cool, but I told you so. And, you know, throughout the process, always encouraged her speaking to me and communicating and being honest, because that's the biggest thing to me. That is the biggest thing. I can stay in any type of relationship and I can forgive anything but dishonesty. And that probably sounds stupid because in my own relationship, I've hidden things, right? So I totally acknowledge the hypocrisy in that statement. So long story short, things were kind of heating up again, had no plans to leave, just said, hey, we can be whatever we are. But right now, during that time, I had a long talk with my wife where we had basically decided that we were staying together for my teenager until he graduates simply because we didn't want to upset the apple cart. And I was like, and we had a bunch of things that we were like, Hey, we're fine being roommates, but this isn't working anymore. We've grown apart. So 
it was about a week before Thanksgiving and she texts me in the morning because we text every morning and every night. And she tells me she got into a bit of trouble the night before. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What happened? And she shares with me that she slept with her husband's best friend. Devastated is not the word. Pissed off is not the word. I was sad for her because an action like that, in my opinion, is not the action of a mentally healthy person. She's like, I don't even like this guy. I don't know what I was doing. And in my anger, I probably said some rude things. For instance, at one point she said, I was just drunk and horny. And I said, buy a fucking dildo. And my point to her was, this is something that somebody does where they're trying to cause maximum damage because I don't believe she's a narcissist. And it also, and I also explained to her, it, it destroyed my vision of who she was and who I thought she was. And I still think she is the person I thought she was. I just think she's really hurting right now. And you know, I'm a big therapy person. I've spent about four years in therapy between my weight loss and loss of a parent and all that stuff. I do the work and my job is very stressful. So it entails having someone to talk to. I said, you need to see someone and you need to work on yourself. I said, in my opinion, your marriage is over. There's no coming back for that. And I really think you want to tell your husband, I'm not going to, I don't betray confidence. I never have, I never will. But I said, you need to, stuff like this always comes out eventually, right? It, it will always come out. And when he finds out, I mean, the humiliation that would go along with that. And I said, well, you kind of owe it to him to just be like, hey, can't fix this or at least give him the choice whether he wants to stand on that or not. Right. So, yeah, at this point, the what started off as just a fantastic love story. I'm not kidding. When I deleted our text messages, we had over 17,000. And to be clear to, as to how cute and innocent this was, no dirty pictures, nothing like that, nothing at all like that. It was all like very platonic, very romantic, very close, very intimate type stuff, right? And it was so sad to mourn that relationship. So at this point, I've gone no contact. We have spoken on the phone a couple times during that period. So calling it no contact is a little bit of a misnomer. But at the same time, what I've explained to her is the only relationship I'm interested in salvaging is a friendship. But I don't want to be friends with somebody who would do something like that. And I think you need to work on it. So that's kind of where we're at right now. I love that you were able to put yourself into a position like no contact, by the way, is a process. If you are the other woman in your relationship and you love this podcast, you would love the other women community. The other women community is a membership program designed to help other women just like you reclaim their relationship with themselves and heal from their affair. We provide a safe and supportive environment for you to open up and talk about your experiences. We give you the tools and resources you need to grow into an authentic, empowered individual. If you're ready to take the next step in your healing journey, head on over to theotherwomanandthewife.com backslash community to learn more about the membership and all it has to offer. I say this a lot in a community no contact is not like all of a sudden you're no contact and then that's that. I think it really, you struck on it perfectly. You're in a period of mourning and a period of loss of something that was very important to you, somebody 
a relationship that obviously made you feel alive and had you feeling feelings that you haven't felt in a really long time. So yeah, the grieving process is real, regardless of the label that the relationship has. Absolutely. So and I think it's really, I think it's astounding how many men I've come across. I think in general, our society placates men as emotionally inept or unable to understand, like all of this. And I just, I don't see it that way at all. I see it as there are individuals and some of them are male and some of them are female and they do have the ability to comprehend emotional understanding and intelligence and all of that. When I, I think a certain amount of emotional intelligence goes into it too. I mean, I'm at an age where you, you don't, you don't mess around with stuff like this, right? You, you don't have time when you reach middle age, you, you really don't have time to play games, right? And you've been through all the games and all the BS and you know, it's not high school anymore. And so to say, I'm going to go no contact or that I suddenly don't care about this person is, is stupid, right? You, do, you don't forget about it. Yes, feelings are temporary, right? And self-worth has to go above feelings. However, like when you see a situation like this, and, and, and I saw this and I said, wow, she's really hurting. She is. There's just no doubt. And she has her reasons for that. You know, I glossed over this. This could be four hours of all the intimate details of what's going on because I'm not a dumb person and believe me, I'm not giving her a pass on this at all. And to sit there and say like, suddenly I don't care about them. No, I, I do. I still absolutely do. My heart still hurts like right in the middle. I mean, knife straight through it. It's difficult not to sit here and pick up my phone. It's difficult not to want to share my day with her. It's difficult not to say good night. God, I have spent every day since I have spent it like in the gym at least once or twice. We put our feelings in our muscles, but I, I don't think that's just a guy thing. I think the distribution is the same emotionally for men and women, right? I've met women that are emotionally inept, like absolutely emotionally inept. And they have no idea where their feelings come from. Like they have no idea what they're feeling or they're so narcissistic. Like, but I've, I've met men like that too. And vice versa. Yeah. I think everyone's a mixture. I think a lot of men are taught to express their emotions. They're told it's not okay or not okay to discuss it or whatever. And it's not like you're not in touch with it. It's just that you're not willing to share. And that's, that's when you get the idea of the ugly alcoholic and things like that, where the guy needs a few drinks before he's like, oh, my life's falling apart. But there's nothing wrong with feeling what you feel. And what I did, I, I'm not going to lie, there, there's a little bit of guilt in having fallen into that. I know I've spoken to this to my best friend, and he's like, do you think you dodged a bullet here? And I was like, no, I really don't think I did. I hope she gets the help she needs. Now, will I ever trust her again to go to that level? Probably not. Just out of self-preservation, right? Like yeah. mourning a relationship like that is awful. But at the same time, I don't regret it. It was fun, right? It, yeah. It, mm -hmm. it was great to get to know somebody at that level and to feel loved again. I think it's great that you don't have regret. I think that when we regret, it's our way of kicking ourselves in the ass with the past. And I just don't see any purpose to it. I'm definitely a peacemaker with the past rather than wishing things were different than they actually are. 
I'd love to know, Marty, are you still uh, pursuing divorce? The plan for a couple of years is still there. My wife and I talk about it regularly and talk about how we feel about this thing. One of the things this has unlocked is me saying, is me being able to verbalize with my own spouse about how I'm feeling, right? Because I've started to demand my boxes be filled, which is something I haven't done in 20 years of marriage. And part of it is, you know, we had a long talk actually this last weekend. We sat and we had a very, we put the plan together essentially. And it's funny because after we did that, we both felt so much better that we spent the rest of the evening like playing video games and having a few drinks. We made love, which is not a regular thing. And it was like really cool. And because it's, it's almost like we felt better. It got out in the open. My whole point with her is, you know what? I really do hope that we grow together again and we don't have to execute this plan. I do. You spend 20 years with somebody and you grow up with them, essentially. You still want to take care of them. I, if you don't, I don't know what your problem is. But at the same time, you know, marriage is an institution that wasn't meant to last a lifetime in some cases. I mean, when marriage was first put in place, people were dying at 30. Sometimes it just doesn't. It doesn't mean you regret it. It doesn't mean that you can't be friends afterwards. And I even told her, I was like, listen, and she, she's basically like, hey, no girl's ever going to be good enough for you if you ever decide to move on. But at the same time, I think I could put up with it. And I did the same for her. I said, all I want is for you to be happy. But there is a large part of me that really just hopes that we do grow together again. And maybe that'll happen. Maybe not. Maybe I'll get hit by a car tonight. Who knows? But how do you think you could impact that? Well, it's funny, straight communication, right? When, you know, a marriage is not supposed to be one that you walk on eggshells, right? And I think a lot of us are so afraid of hurting our partners and their feelings and everything that we forget to communicate our needs. And one of the things that during this time that, that I did was I did an exercise and I did this with my affair partner. This is funny. We did what was called my boxes where we each wrote down what boxes we need checked to have a fulfilling relationship, right? Mine are on a note in my phone. I've got eight of them. And, and they're so innocuous, it's not funny. It, it's things like, always tell me the truth, communicate with me, and understand that even though I might be hurt at first, I will work through it, right? Understand that sometimes I have bad days, but I'm trying. I'm always trying, right? And give me that, just give me that benefit. Give me that time. Things like that, talking about, I mean, even sex. Like my wife thinks that sex once a month is perfectly okay. I think that sex once a week is way too little. And that, that it's a barrier, right? It, it, it's a big gap to cross. So it's things like that. And, and it's just things like, so in doing that exercise, I found out what I wanted from a relationship, right? And I took it. And I communicated it to my wife. I made it for another person, but I put it in front of her and I said, this is really what I need and want. And this is where we've been having a problem. This is where, because I haven't made my needs clear because for years and years, I was a sole breadwinner. I was the one doing all the things I took care of everyone. And I never spoke up for myself. And a lot of men do that, Chelsea. A lot of men do that. And they shouldn't. Marriage is not a shackle, right? And if both people are not fulfilling the contract, then, then, you know, I'm a lawyer. 
So if one side, if one party's not fulfilling their end of the contract, you can walk away. But at the same time, it's, if there's a breach in the contract, then you have an obligation to communicate it. And that's what started to happen. I'm hopeful that it continues. I really am. Not because I lost that relationship. To be perfectly honest, I was secretly hoping it would fix itself before it got to that point. I'm glad it got to that point. Like I said, it was nice to be loved. But at the same time, self-value is higher than feelings. Correct. Absolutely correct. Marty, there's one thing that I would correct you on. You okay. said that you did the, the boxes for your affair partner. And mm -hmm. you ended up using that with your wife. And ultimately, I think that you did those boxes for yourself. You know, yeah, I, I think that's an extremely valid point. Yeah, I, I did do them for myself because it's weird as as men, we don't really think about what we want very often. Now, I always say modern psychology is just starting to catch up on how to talk to men. Women need to learn to love and accept themselves. Men need a purpose. Like we build shit and then we die. That's what men do. And without that purpose and without that supporting cast, that partner, right? And I, I, when I say supporting cast, I'm not talking like Robin. I'm talking Batman, Superman, okay? And without that person to support you and to be there when you fall down, you can't do anything. And without that person fulfilling your needs, you can't fulfill your purpose because you don't have the energy to. Because you're trying to find other ways to fulfill your needs and that... You know, it can lead to drugs, alcohol, infidelity, all sorts of things. And, and not the good infidelity where it's like the notebook, but which is kind of like what mine was, but the really bad infidelity where you're probably going to get arrested by the police in a sting. I'm just saying, I know a lot of guys who engage in stuff like that. And I'm always like, no, that's not worth it. So yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. I think I did those boxes for me. And honestly, I think I did a lot of this for me, not in a narcissistic way, just in a I hate it when people use this term, but it's appropriate in a self-discovery kind of way. You hate it when people use that term? Because so many people, okay, so many people use it inappropriately, right? It's like when you have the, there's TikTokers that do this, right? I'm on a healing journey. And you're like, no, if you're not doing therapy, if you're not, if you're not like, you know, fixing things, if you're just being selfish, you're a shithead. You're not on a, a healing journey. You're an asshole. And I think using it and overuse of stuff like that takes away from the people who are really trying, right? Because everyone rolls their eyes and says, oh yeah, you're just like that bitch Sally down the street. And so I think it's overused. And I think a lot of that stuff, those cliches are overused, but in this case, I think it's appropriate. I do. I agree. I think it is appropriate. And mm -hmm. it is that when we start to look at everything we do as something that we are doing for ourselves, I think that we more clearly see where our shortcomings are, especially when it comes to communication and understanding what's important to us in relationships. I think you're right on the money that that particular act that you did, even though in your mind you were telling yourself you were doing it with your affair partner so that you could aspire to have this relationship with her, I think subconsciously it was almost like a what do I actually value inside of a relationship? And how have I existed in a marriage for 20 years and yep. not had this yet, this understanding? And I think that those check boxes, they change over time. Oh, absolutely. So my there's like this check-in. Yeah. Yeah. My boxes are way different now than they were when I, 
God, I was 23 when I got married. Like I, I was an idiot. I had no idea what I was doing. And that's why my wife and I say all the time, like we grew up together and, and that's a good thing. But at the same time, yeah, people change over time and it's really okay. I always say I'm coming up on a major birthday in April. And I told a friend of mine the other day, I said, my plan is to bring in this year in the best shape of my life. And then to spend the next like 15 years just going hard. And then I'm going to be the best grandpa in the world. Like oh, that's that. kind of like my plan. And I want somebody there with me when I do that. Not as a person that like I just have to smother or just somebody I drag along, but like somebody that's going to enjoy it with me. So are you a hockey fan, Chelsea? I can't say that I am. I okay, wish I were. So, my brothers so, played hockey when I was a kid. Gotcha. So there's this great show on Hulu called Shorzy. It's out of Canada, right? It's about a hockey player. It's a little inappropriate, but there's a great line in there because he's he's got this crush on this girl and he shows up at her door one day and he says, there's no point in winning if you have no one to share it with. And so that's kind of how I look at that. Like I'm coming up to the second half of my life and it's so usable and there's so much potential for fun and experience and growth and improving my corner of the world, right? And I want to do all those things, but there's no point in doing it if I don't have somebody that is excited to do it with me. So, yeah. Interesting. I feel like that's very much a male dynamic of this like longing for companionship. Not that females don't long for it, but it's interesting with all of the stories that I've read and countless freaking stories there's like this underlying theme of like men almost require the companion and the partnership someone that drives them and women seem to be very satisfied with themselves once they get to a place i think where they realize that their external their external perception isn't really that important and they really start to hone in on what is it about experiences that they have had that make them feel most alive? I, I think that you even concentrating on who you want to become in your future and having such a positive light to shine on it is incredibly inspiring, especially to Thank people you. who are listening to this podcast. Thank you. So I have to ask, how did the conversation about divorce with your wife initially? How did it go? How did you get the courage? What did you say? Oh, <laughs> so it wasn't the courage. It was in the midst of a fight, heat of the moment. And I just blurted it all out. And because I was, I was, I was so tired of hiding the way I felt. And I didn't think she was taking what I was trying to tell her seriously. And I kind of just lost my shit. Not in a screaming, yelling way. I just said, you know what? I'm going to bullet point this shit out for you. And that's what I did. I literally sat there and like bullet point one, boom, bullet point two, boom, and laid out my reasoning and where I wanted to go. And at the end of it, I, I basically said to her, I said, I want you to think about this. I want to separate right now. Just go to our separate corners for the next hour or so. And then let's come together when we're calm because I feel like this is going to escalate because I've just dropped 
a nuclear bomb on everything. Because the interesting thing to me is that we had been fighting for a long time on and off. And she was surprised when I brought up the idea and the concept. And it's funny because when we got back together and we discussed what I had just said, we came to the conclusion that we both wanted to think about it more, but she understood where I was coming from. She kind of reiterated to me what I was, what I had said to her. And then she also brought up some of her points, which I am not a perfect man. I am difficult. I know I am. I am, I'm a lot. Okay. And I know that. I'm prickly, but we're a team here. And so we spent, it was about a week before we spoke about it again. And then when we did, she actually brought it up and she said, I'm actually really comfortable with this because I wouldn't want you to feel trapped or shackled in any way. But she did add to what it. What a woman. Yeah. That's what makes it so, it would be so much easier if she was a bitch, right? It would be so much easier if she was just cheating on me, right? But then she said, and she literally took my boxes that I wrote down. And she's like, I'm really going to try to do this. And I'll be honest with you, out of eight boxes, she is solid on six of them ever since I've given them to her. There are two that, you know, suck. And, but you know, an 80% is still passing, right? It's a solid B. Is there a way to get those boxes checked by somebody other than your wife? It has, it actually, funny thing is, it actually has a lot to do with her self-image. And part of it is, so we were a bigger couple, right? We were heavier. I weighed almost 500 pounds at one point. And now I'm very active and have lost weight. And, and what comes with that is a lot of attention from the opposite sex, especially when you're wearing your wedding ring, which ladies, that's weird. I'm going to be honest, guys are just as off put by that as women are like it's yeah. And you know what? If a guy isn't a little off put by that, there's that's a red flag just because I wasn't used to that kind of attention. But my wife got very uncomfortable because she didn't lose that much weight. And basically, I finally seem to have gotten through to her that I don't care about that. I was like, I married you when we were a certain size. I fell in love with you when we were a certain size. When tongue in cheek, black guys like me like them a certain size. But it, it's just the idea that I was like, this doesn't affect me. I'm not visually driven. I never have been. Blah, blah, blah. I like you for you. However, you know, it, it did create some self-image issues for her, which I told her that I can't help with. I don't know how to help you. I can tell you you're beautiful, but you're not going to believe me. So she actually did start doing the work, not just in the gym, but health wise, going to see a therapist and talking about, and some of those boxes have started to improve and it, the efforts there. And that's what I, I actually really like the effort. And because it makes me, it makes me know that my efforts are being rewarded, right? Because I'm not perfect. I'm not checking all the boxes. I know that. I think I'm still doing way better than she is because she's got a lot more boxes, but at the same time, like I said, I'm hopeful that we can work through it. And maybe at the end of this two years, we actually decide we're both struggling with potentially being empty nesters too. When my kid graduates and turn 18, he, if he's so independent, he's gone. He's, he's just, we'll see him when he has kids or something, maybe at my funeral. I don't know. But at the same time, like we struggled with that. And it's like, how do you go from being mom and dad to just being you again? Right. Right. Because yeah. we put so much of our identity yeah. into mom and dad. 
So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm hopeful that we'll get there. Oh my God, Marty, I keep falling in love with your story because it is so nuanced with redirection of energy and uh, being able to take things as they come and changing your mind, which I think is probably the most powerful thing that a human can do is change their mind and commit to it and work towards it. Yeah. And I don't only, I don't only think it's changing your mind. I mean, like my feelings haven't changed. I still love this one very much. I do. That's not going to go away. But you can love more than one person in a lifetime. Hell, you can, if you do it right, you should love several. I think you should. And I want to be clear, not just the physical love, the I want to not only touch your butt, but buy you food, right? <laughs> I, I mean, that, that emotional connection where you can show people who you actually are. Because let's be honest, a lot of us hide behind a mask most of the time. And we let very few people see that person, right? Who we really are. The, the little kid, right? I do pretty well for myself now, but I still grew up in the trailer park, right? And not a lot of people see the redneck scared little kid side of me. And she got oh to see Oh my God, Marty. What? I lived in a trailer park for a little bit. And Did you? I was on a phone call with a client earlier and they lived in a trailer park for a little bit. I, I lived in a bad trailer park. It's part of the reason I'm an attorney. It's part of the reason that I'm really good at practicing criminal law. I, I, it's my people. <laughs> oh man, this is great. Yeah. His trailer park ended up being condemned by the city. I didn't experience yeah. that. The one that I grew up in rat sightings were a regular thing. Yeah. And it was, there's a prison about a half hour down the road. And that's where a lot of prisoners would come after they got released and stay there. So I got an education as a child. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Marty, what do you think the connection between you and your former AP was founded in? Oh, geez. We bonded over our fathers dying at about the same time. Mine had passed earlier and I was very tight with my father, very close. He was like my rock, right? And my best friend in the world, the whole nine yards, right? And hers died uh, a couple years after. And I saw her struggling and she was a friend. I mean, we had always been friends. We hit it off right from the beginning. I think honestly, it was because she's a little bit of a smart ass and I like smart asses. I like direct people and I just, her sense of humor cut deep. And I love that about people when they can do that. I saw her hurting and she wasn't the type of person who I felt she was a very strong person. And I just reached out and I said, hey, if you want to talk about this, let me know. And we started talking about what it's like to lose a parent, what it's like to, because it's weird. I don't care whether you're nine or 90, losing a parent sucks. It makes life very real for you. And all of a sudden your support, if you had supportive parents, your support group's kind of gone, right? And when you lose those people, those important people in your life, you kind of get, you get into a weird spot. So yeah, I, I, that's kind of where it was founded. It was founded in grief. Unfortunately, it ended there too, but it was founded in grief. I'm glad I can joke about it. I think that life is a series of that grief cycle, I think. And I'm not totally sure on that. Without grief, you don't grow. It, it's Say that one more time. Without grief, you don't grow. And 
I, I think when you look back on your life and you look at the ups and downs, whether you were the wife of the other woman or whether you had an affair, or you spent 50 years in a beautiful marriage where you were constantly faithful to one another. I think that no matter what, you're going to go through fires, right? And life is a series of fires in a lot of ways. If you're living it, it really is. I can't think of any more, anything more boring than a suburban upbringing where nothing really happens. And, but I think those fires, first of all, it takes fire to forge steel. It takes fire to harden you, to turn you into not a careless person, but a strong person who can care. And I also think that those times, that grief, that fires, the fire drills in life, they make you appreciate the quiet moments so much more and make you grab on. Like I said, when we were talking, I said, I don't regret a single thing that happened in this. I don't regret any part of it, even the way it ended. And I don't regret the way I feel because it was real. And as long as it was real and I wasn't lying to myself about it, it's okay. I got to feel that feeling one more time. And as much as it hurts, I got to feel it. I think that's part of the reason we always buy dogs because dogs will break your heart. And, but we still get them and we love them. And because we know we can have an impact on another life and make it a little bit better. And quite frankly, she made mine a little bit better. And I think I made hers better. I'm good with that. I love what you were able to educate her on as far as this whole experience goes. I love that mm -hmm. you were able to find mutual connection with somebody who had an experience that they were likely isolated in. I truly think that love is how we show up for others and whether we're willing to do it in like big dramatic ways. I think that the love story, even though it doesn't have the ending that you probably wanted a few months ago, still a love story and it's a chapter in your book and you get to, you get to have that book and maybe one day you will share it with your son. Maybe, maybe. As a matter of fact, I probably, at some point I'm sure him and I will have that conversation way down the line when he's way more mature and can handle the intricacies of it. But yeah, I honestly, I look forward to that conversation with him one day because I don't want him to be confused. I don't want him to have to do, I don't want him to waste time. We have so much time on this planet and it ought to be spent in connection, no matter what it is. So yeah. What would you tell your son if he were to get married? Oh boy. The worst financial decision or the most important financial decision you make in your life is who you marry. Unfortunately, that's the one we do it with our heart. But what I would tell him, find somebody that excites you, not just below the belt, not just in your heart, but somebody that you can have the same conversation with for the next 30 years, somebody that's going to challenge you. And quite frankly, if they don't make you better, they're not worth your time is what I would tell him about any relationship, honestly. And I, I will tell you, you, you've heard like my wife is a damn saint. Like I said, it would be easier if she was just a bitch, but she's not. And she didn't deserve this but it wasn't really about her. And so I think what I'd tell my son is that, hey, enjoy everything while it lasts, but don't allow yourself to be unhappy. I'm not saying bail at the first sign of trouble, 
but don't go through life thinking that you don't have anybody to rely on. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. What a great way to close out the episode. Marty, is there any final thoughts or questions you'd like to share with the listener? No, you know, I, I know some people will listen to something like this and they'll judge, right? I see the comments on some of your TikToks and things like that. And, you know, you can't judge the way somebody's doing something unless you've stood there, right? And while I'm not particularly proud of some aspects of this, I will tell you that I'm proud that I'm living honestly, that I felt something and I don't feel like I crossed any of my personal lines. And honestly, I don't think I have anything to be ashamed of. So, yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. I'm like envisioning the men that I speak with that are in the trenches of fear and guilt and shame and how much they need to hear that statement. So thank you, Marty. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank I you for truly value you and your story. Certainly an interesting one. <laughs> All of these stories have been very interesting. And I appreciate your candor in having this conversation with me and your ability to be vulnerable, which speaks volumes of you as a man. So thank you. I, I appreciate you having me. This was fun. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast episode. We appreciate your support and would love to hear your thoughts on it. If you've made it this far, you're likely someone who is invested in the journey of being the other woman. We understand that this can be a difficult and complex experience, which is why we offer guided coaching to help you heal and move forward. We encourage you to explore the links in the episode description or visit theotherwomanandthewife.com slash coaching to learn more about our exclusive coaching program and apply today. Thank you again for your support, and we look forward to seeing you in the next episode.